What I love about Samaritan's Purse is that time after time after time, we're in the very ground zero of a world event, bringing help and hope to people that desperately need it, and they can sense it. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and that was John Freiler you just heard. He serves on our member care team and often deploys in the aftermath of disasters. While most of our disaster assistance response team members are sent to care for people that are impacted by the disaster itself, member care is sent to care for our staff. They minister to the doctors, the nurses, the logisticians, the engineers, and everyone serving on our team. John was in Turkey at the time of our conversation, responding to the devastating earthquake that killed tens of thousands of people. And even though he's been going and doing this type of work for decades, he said he'd never seen a disaster quite like this. The devastation was difficult to comprehend, and I asked him what it was like when he first arrived after the earthquake. It was We arrived amid chaos. It must have been only four or five, six days after the actual the initial earthquake, and uh, it, was, it was chaos. But we were able to set up the hospital. We began to see patients. We saw a lot of patients here. You know, typical injuries, crush injuries, fractures, those type of things. We also saw uh, just regular patients that had, you know, needed their diabetic, needed their medicines that they had been in their house and they couldn't go back to their house and all that kind of stuff. So we saw both. And then we started to get in a rhythm until about two mm-hmm. days ago when we experienced this aftershock, a 64 uh, aftershock earthquake uh, hit right here in, in Takia, and uh, it was right below us, probably six miles below us. Oh my gosh! And we've always felt these aftershocks, and then it began to shake, and then harder and harder and harder. It wouldn't stop, and uh, we ended up having to evacuate the hospital. Uh, we had an evacuation point. We all went to, uh, but then it like it became chaotic. It was bedlam because. It rocked the city, and there was more casualties. Not as big as the original earthquake, but we started to see patient after patient. Uh, I was up to about 1 a.m. My colleague here was up to about 3 a.m. I know that, that it was all hands on deck. We've opened wards that, we, that had had been shut. Uh, we opened overflow tents. And uh, so, you know, we worked all night. And then we're at the in the parking lot of a hospital, the old hospital that, you know, was was wrecked. It's still standing, but they had to evacuate it. But because of this earthquake, it's just gotten worse. And, you know, our prayers, it just doesn't fall down. And so we've had, you know, it's probably about 48 hours of this initial, uh, you know, the aftershock and the repercussions from it. But now we're starting to get back into a rhythm. We had the opportunity to fly in here on a Chinook helicopter. We didn't ever get to see the damage. And mm. so we've now been able to take out uh, team just to see part of the city and Christy, it, it, your heart goes out, it, your heart breaks for the families here. Uh, I mean, it's demolished. I, I mean, it, it, there's building after building after building. I mean, it, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and it's ranks up there with some of the worst disasters I've seen, mm-hmm. if not the worst. Uh, and so, you know, after we felt the earthquake, we felt that we could understand a little bit, experience a little bit to some degree what they did. Obviously not. It wasn't a 7.8. It was a 6.4. But then today we've been able to take the stat out to see the damage from that 7.8 earthquake. And it's just, you know, riding back. Everybody was silent. They just kind of processing it. And, and it gives us 
gives our doctors and nurses here better context mm -hmm. by which uh, they now know why we have this field hospital here. But yeah. to see it with your own eyes, it really, it, it takes your breath away and your heart goes out to the, to the people of Turkey. I am glad that you got to go out because, yeah, sometimes you get so hyper laser focused in, in the field hospital and your work and... Yeah, you, you meet the patients that are coming in, so you hear about it. But when you can actually see it, I think it probably gives you more empathy for your patients. And, and even walking through an earthquake, you know, now you have, like you said, it's nothing compared to what it was, but you at least understand the gravity of, of the trauma that they're dealing with. And most of these people that are coming in, it seems like almost everybody has lost somebody, you know, family, friend. Yeah. They all know somebody yeah. that is yeah. lost, so they come in with a broken bone or our physical pain, but their their emotional, the emotional toll is so great because they have really lost, I mean, their home, but more no, importantly, people. So what is that like ministering well, to people of such great loss? Well, one of the things is, you know, in order to have a field hospital here, we need support, you know, from the local community. We'll, we'll hire like a food truck. Mm -hmm. We've hired cleaners. We've hired people to come in and help us in this. But you know, their service has been spotty at times, but it's not because of them. It's because they've lost yeah. people themselves. They've lost their workers. One of the cleaners lost half his staff in wow. this earthquake, you know, and so it puts everything in perspective. You know, we might not get a meal on time that day, but when you realize, you know what, he's lost half his staff, it's hard. I mean, it, it puts things in perspective and, and you feel for them. And so going back to your original question, our, our, our hearts go out, our hearts break to see such loss. The stories are heartbreaking. I, I mean, you know, I, I related uh, one of the x-ray technicians here. The, the uh, lady was in the was in the bed and, he, and she kept pulling him aside saying, like, basically, see me, see me, see me. And he was uh, annoyed at it. You know, he's like, wait your turn. Hmm. But when he talked through a translator to her, they found out that the excavators were excavating their building and they were getting down to the level of her apartment and her son had died was crushed in there she wanted to be there when they excavated the body that's why she wanted to get out of the hospital mm. to go and so he was like oh my gosh mm. you know he he's thinking she's impatient right but there's a reason you know and so again it, your, our, our problems seem very small compared to what is going on here mm -hmm. Ugh, that is so heavy You've been with the ministry for a long time, but you mentioned how this one's different. I guess, how has how have you seen the Lord prepare you for this specific one? And maybe what is he teaching you in this response? You know, uh, I, I would answer that maybe with three things. One, um, I, it's a call, for me, it's a calling. I, I've been with, 20, with Samaritan's first 20 years. The first 10 were in projects, which gave me a good foundation of what we do, how we respond on darts and in our field offices and then the last 10 or 11 now 21 years have been in some form of uh staff care and um so you know it's a calling i feel like I, i've been able to thrive in this role in, in staff care but it's because god has made me the way i am i enjoy the, the risk in a sense of going on disaster because that's just my makeup I, i've had a lot of experience but none of that really compares or holds weight to the to the real reason I, I feel like God is preparing me for that this. And it's just that, you know, when I come into these disasters, I know, Christy, that it's a matter in preparing to come in here, it's it's a matter of just yielding myself to the Lord. 
it's a posture or an attitude of submission and surrender to what God wants to do through me as a as a staff care chaplain here. Uh, it's not so much what I do for God here, but it's allowing Christ to live his life in and through me to touch, in this case, our staff, to minister to our staff. And as long as I'm yielded to God, as long as I'm surrendered, abiding, trusting, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work and minister through me, then I feel like I, I can minister successfully to our staff because it's not me doing it. Mm-hmm. This isn't about me. It's about being yielded to Christ who's in me. You know, Christy, it was three years ago when I really began to understand that Jesus saved us, not so that we could work for him, but so he saved us so he could live his life in us and through us to touch others. And so how does he do that? It's through submit, submitting to him, yielding to him, trusting him, um, the, those type of those type of actions. And so that, as I yield to him, it, it prepares me to minister to our staff here. I love the, it seems like your last two responses, you know, you shared in devotions and God had prepared your heart for exactly what you needed before the trip. And so I just, that's why I just wanted to hear, you know, I think he seems to prepare your heart because you are, you're, you're supporting our staff primarily, uh, which is a heavy load, but you also do interact with patients. And so you're, like you said, you're taking on their burdens. And so God seems to truly prepare you exactly for what you need before a response and then throughout uh, so that you can overflow. Because you mentioned, you know, you're dead tired, you know, you're running on fumes, um, but it seems like you're joyful because you, you you are, you're surrendered and you're responding with his power. Amen. And so tell us about, you know, with member care and your, your chaplain, your, your primary role is to support our staff and to help them process. So talk to me about what the morale is like and how everybody's doing and then maybe what you're seeing through our staff and how we can be praying. You know, the staff is tired. We're, we're now starting to get the second wave to come in, and that's good. The first wave always comes in and sets up. And to set up a field hospital like this, it's a lot of work to everybody. It's all hands on deck. There's a lot going on, a lot of logistics. Uh, you know, so we've set it up. I, I think the staff is tired. Uh, but, you know, we I was just talking with them. We've got to pinch ourselves. Uh, we get have the opportunity to do this and uh, to be here. There's a difference in the care that our staff is able to give. Uh, and I believe the Turkish people see that. And they comment that, you know, thank you for the love you show, the genuine love and care that our staff are giving to these patients. I believe this hospital is providing extraordinary care. And the Turkish people see it and appreciate it. And even one lady was treated and then brought her son back because she said, because of the care, mm-hmm. she sees the love from our doctors and nurses. And so, you know, again, you can, we can concentrate on the minutia or step back and see the big picture. And when we step back and see the big picture mm-hmm. of how God is moving and working in this situation, it's an encouragement to all of us, it's an encouragement to our staff. Again, we have our second uh, wave and uh, everything's been set up. They come in with fresh legs you know, fresh, uh, fresh arms. Uh, and so that'll be good. But I think overall, our staff morale is high. Uh, again, it's an opportunity to go and we're grateful for it. Uh, and then to be a part, what I love about Samaritan's Purse is that 
time after time after time, we're in the very uh, ground zero of a world event, bringing help and hope Mm -hmm. to people that desperately need it, and they can sense it. It's like a light out there. You can't hide it. They see it, and they sense it. They say it's the love and care of our of our doctors and nurses. And so because of that, we feel like, you know, we're doing what we're called to do. And so we're grateful for it. Hmm. That's great to hear. And you mentioned, you know, the mom bringing her son back. Uh, you're, you're earning the right by the, by the good work, you know, and the excellent care, uh, but more so the love, you know, and I just think of the memory verse, John 13, 35, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, the way that we love yeah. demonstrates, you know, we are God's hands and feet. And so I love hearing yes. that they see a difference in us. They see a light. They see they something do. different. And what is that like to minister to people with a different language? You know, you can't speak directly to them, but yet they're seeing something in us and are drawn to it. Yeah. What is that like? Well, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, What's it say? You know, you don't hide your light under a bushel, but let it shine, right? And it is shining. It's shining bright here in Turkey. And it's an encouragement. It's fantastic. And uh, that's why we do what we do. And that's why these doctors and nurses do what they do. And so, uh, really, the, the, the love of God being displayed here in action is, is, is wonderful. And it's making, it's making a difference. Love, love really makes a difference. And, and it's and they see it and they come back to it. And I imagine, you know, you said, you know, it's hard because of so much loss in the community. You know, it's hard to get meals, help, work. Uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of lack in this response and delay. Can you share a story or an example of a time where there was a huge lack and you guys couldn't physically do something, but God interceded or provided what you needed? Yes, we've seen God brought. Okay, so just real, real quickly, you know, we had, and this is, it is what it is, but we, we had a lack of getting toilets hmm. here. And, you know, you've got a hundred people and, wow. and we need to go to the restroom. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and they did provide toilets. Uh, we finally got a toilet, one toilet for men and one toilet for the women, Wow. you know, and they, uh, but the toilets, they're not Western style toilets that you and I are used to. They're more of a dime of the kind of like a squatty toilet, mm-hmm. but there was a fella that came and, uh, when he realized, when he saw this earthquake and he said he wanted to help. And so he brought down a, it was a camper full of toilets. Really? And uh, he just, and, and he, and he brought it to our camp and he said, if you guys will clean it, then you can use them. And so for the first week, we actually had Western toilets, that, you know, that were there and we didn't contract him. We did. He just provided it for our staff. They were clean. Uh, and I know that sounds funny, but. It was God provided for us, even in that, mm-hmm. you know, and so we were grateful for that first week so that we could in, until we could finally get up, uh, get some other trailers in here, build some toilets ourselves and get uh, and, and we're in a much better situation now. But until then, he was there with his with his camper. And so I know it's a bit of a funny example, but God provided mm-hmm. even in that. And I'm telling you, you talk about staff care. I, I do staff care. That is staff care. It's a morale booster. 
Wow. That's what I love about these responses. I mean, yes, we provide the hospital and we fly in a lot of our own resources. But once, you know, the teams get on the ground, I mean, there is a lot of local partnerships and and we need to get supplies locally as well. So people don't realize how many moving parts, people outside of our organization that God uses um, to supply the needs. We could not do it without local partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, the Samaritan doesn't know so much about Turkey. But with local partners who know the area, who know about Turkey, combined with us, Marist First, who has the resources, when you combine the local knowledge with our resources, it's exponential. This, this hospital is a light, mm. and we're, it, it's making a huge impact. We get to be part of a world-changing event, and we're bringing help, hope, encouragement, and light to the people of Turkey, mm-hmm. and they see it. And it's just wonderful to be part of that. It's always encouraging to talk to our team members while they're in the thick of it. I love hearing how God is encouraging them and providing for their needs. And since we had this conversation, the emergency medical phase of the disaster response has wrapped up. But over the course of operations, Samaritan's Purse doctors and nurses had the opportunity to care for more than 8,000 patients. And Samaritan's Purse continues to meet ongoing needs like distributing shelter material and hygiene kits. And when I talked to John, I was reminded of a recent devotion that he shared with our staff. And I could see how God was preparing him for this deployment long before the earthquake in Turkey even happened. So we wanted to share it with you, too. We start every day at Samaritan's Purse with devotions, and this one really impacted our team. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. It's about the storms of life. And I know all of us in this room are familiar with the storms of life. Let me read it. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And so last night we talked about this passage, and uh, just a couple of observations up front. One is that the Sea of Galilee does have big storms. It's documented. uh, Its geography is that it sits below sea level, there's mountains, the Golan Heights, there's mountains around it, and storms come up, and there are big storms. And secondly, these guys, the the disciples, were professional fishermen, right? Before they met Christ, they were professional fishermen. They knew the water. They spent all their lives on the water. And so when the Bible says that they were afraid they were going to die, you can bet it was a furious storm. You know, so what happens? Well, they go out, Jesus falls asleep, storms came up, swamped the boat, And so they wake Jesus and they say, we're going to die, you know? And then, you know, what did Jesus do? You know, he he calmed everything and they were like, who is this guy? But then he admonished the disciples. He's like, where is your faith? And so we had a long discussion last night. You know, it seemed, honestly, it seemed kind of unfair. I mean, they went to the right source, right? It's not like they went to Allah. I mean, Jesus was there. They woke him up. They said, you know, Jesus, save us. They, They went to God. So why did he admonish them? And again, we went back and forth, talked about that, and then one of the fellows asked the question, well, what would have been the disciples' response that would have pleased Jesus? You know, what would have been a response of faith? You know, should they have rebuked the winds and the waves themselves, or 
Or should they have waited till he woke up? You know, or should they have gone to sleep with him? I mean, what would, it, what would have been pleasing? You know, it, it does say in there that uh, they were fearful, and, you know, fear is the opposite of faith. And so, you know, well, maybe, maybe that's what he was upset about. But honestly, we had a hard time understanding why he kind of rebuked his disciples. It, it seemed harsh, right? Because, again, it seemed like they did the right thing. They did the right thing, they went to the right source. But then we had one of these aha moments. Right, if you look at verse, go go back to verse 22, it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Right? This was Jesus' word. It was a promise that he gave to his disciples that they were going to go to the other side of the lake. Right? But his disciples forgot the promise, or worse, they didn't believe it in the midst of the storm. And that is why he admonished him. He didn't say, Let's go over halfway and then drown and die. No, he said, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, right? He promised safe passage. He gave them his word, yet they doubted. In the midst of the storm, they doubted. So the lesson here for us is that God gave them a particular promise, right? What promise has God given you in the storm of your life that you're going through? What promise has he given you? Believe it. Don't forget it. Believe it. You know, the Bible says we're to walk by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Believe it. You know, here's some promises that he has given us, all of us, that we can claim, that we believe, that we trust. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Number two, he watches over us. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Number three, he is with us. Psalm 46, 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our, fort- is our fortress. And the fourth one, and this is my favorite, right? Drum roll. He's in us. God is in us. We have God himself through the Holy Spirit living in us, Right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. In in Hebrews, it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Let me just read this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. This treasure is Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. This all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. We are. In every trial we go through, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. That's what he wants to do, live in us and through us. Amen. He's he's with us, but he's in us. I love this quote. All the worry and fret of God's children would end if their eyes were open to see the greatness of the treasure hid in their hearts. Do you know there are resources enough in your own heart to meet the demand of every circumstance or every trial? in which you find yourself? Do you know there is power enough to move the city in which you live? Do you know there is power enough to shake the universe? Let me tell you once more, and I say it with utmost reverence, you who have been born again of the Spirit of God, you carry God in your heart. Amen. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is here, is in us. Believe it, especially as you go through these storms, because we're all going through them. All right, and finally, let me just close in this. One more observation. 
You know, we think of storms as they come upon us when we disobey God, and they do. You think of um, Jonah, right? He fled God, and God sent a storm to chase him. But what about this? The disciples followed Christ, right? The disciples were obedient. Their storm came in the middle of obedience. Jesus said to get in the boat, and they did. Guys, storms have been promised to us in this life. We will all go through storms. But he gives us particular promises for each storm we're going through, and we can trust him. And as I mentioned before, we can believe all those things. And the other thing is this, is that sometimes we, look at our, we judge our, our, ourselves by our circumstances. If they're good, God is in it. If it's bad, God is not in it. Well, this storm is bad, but God was in it. Amen? I loved John's devotion. I've read that passage many times before, but I learned something new when he gave this devotion. In the midst of the storm, they doubted. God had given them a promise, saying in verse 22, let us go over to the other side. He had assured them what they were going to do that day. He didn't lay out the specifics or what they would experience along the way, but he did, in fact, say they were going to the other side. And so it actually encouraged me that they doubted, um, and it reminded me that we will have storms even when we're being obedient and following the Lord. We may not always know why something's happening, but we know who is with us, and that is enough. And that's why I loved how John reminded us of so many promises in scriptures to fix our eyes on the Lord, not on our circumstances or our feelings as they change, but on the promises of God. And I thought of John 16, where Jesus says, I have told you these things. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so it's a good reminder that, that we will have storms in life. We will have troubles, even when we're being obedient to the Lord. But when we have storms, we need to seek the Lord during them. And so I love this challenge that John gave us, and, and I love the way that he, he talks it out, but he also lives it out in each and every deployment. I hope that this challenged you in your faith today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your prayers and support, and God bless you.